Today on Pilgrim Radio's His People, Al Fadi on how he came to Christ in the U.S., although raised as a Muslim in Saudi Arabia. All of that culminated in me basically starting to walk away from Islam. Uh, you can say I became maybe not an atheist, but uh, agnostic, if you wish. And, and then at some point, I was intrigued about, uh, you know, going to church. El Fadi next. up in a Muslim home in Saudi Arabia, of course Al-Fadi believed Islam was the only true religion. Through circumstances you'll hear him talk about next, he came to the U.S. and heard and responded to the gospel. Today he teaches at Arizona Christian University and is involved in ministry to reach Muslims with the gospel. Mr. Fadi, tell us about being raised in Saudi Arabia in a devout Muslim family. Saudi, of course, I'm sure a lot of people know about Saudi. Hopefully, people even will consider going to Saudi. It's, it's a fabulous country. These days, there's a lot of things that are happening in there. So my hope is that people will get to know more about Saudi in person. But, uh, you know, Saudi is considered really to be the, uh, uh, the, the land of the origin of Islam, uh, simply because Mecca happens to be there. Uh, traditionally speaking, the Islamic narrative stated that the Prophet of Islam was born there. His ministry started it there back in 610 AD. He was born in 570 AD, so he was 40 years of age when that happened. And then at the same time, uh, you know, he spent most of his prophetic career in Mecca for 13 years, then migrated north to another, uh, you know, a religious city in Saudi called Medina. And that's where he has spent the rest of his prophetic career, another 10 years, and died and is buried there. There is uh, So Mecca is the site for the first holy mosque. Medina is the site for the second holy mosque. So you can imagine, you know, the joy and honor that anyone would feel to be there and being born there, of course, uh, that added even to that as well. Saudi has always been known to be very conservative country, and the education system over there focuses a lot on teaching uh, its students uh, about our Islamic heritage, um, the uh, story of the Prophet, the Sirah, basically, which is uh, his own biography, uh, the Quran, and uh, the sayings of the Prophets, among many other things. So I grew up basically like any Muslim over there, learning about the faith. And when it comes to Islam in general, you do not really learn a whole lot about, let's say, world religions per se, but you do know that Islam is the only acceptable religion to God. Anything outside of that is no longer acceptable, even if it was a religion endorsed, let's say, by the God of Islam, like Christianity, like Judaism, for instance. So that was really my upbringing, um, ingrained in Islamic teachings. And slowly and gradually, when I was a teenager, you can say I started it to become more and more traditionalist, fundamentalist in my views, and zealot for the faith that I have. And you memorized lots of the Quran. I mean, a lot, right? That is true. A lot of a lot of Muslims, by the way, uh, uh, memorize portions of the Quran because you need to memorize it to recite it during prayer. Because when you are praying, 
whether you are an Arab speaker or not, you have to at least memorize certain passages and recite them in Arabic. But in my case, of course, I'm an Arab speaker. And of course, it's a, it's a joy and an honor to really memorize the word of Allah. And I really made it a, a basically a goal for myself to memorize as much as I can. So in my case, I exceeded the what we call the normal, you know, kind of like a handful of passages. No, it was much more than that. And you, your your view of non-Muslims or Christians as you grew up, as you said, of course, you, you believe that Islam was the one true religion. But what about your view of, well, particularly of Christians, Christianity? Well, I mean, uh, you know, I want to be frank with you, Bill, um, and, and, and Islam teaches this uh, in uh, pages of the Quran. Um, the Quran and Islam in general teaches that the Christianity uh, that is present today, and I again emphasize today, is no longer the same Christianity that was in the scene when Jesus was on earth. You know, and here's what I mean by that. Islam really makes this claim through the Quran and the Hadith and other uh, also teachings that Christianity after the ascension of Christ, and by the way, Muslims and Islam never teaches that Jesus was crucified and died on the cross. It teaches that he was rescued from being crucified and was taken up to heaven. So right there, you have an essential piece of the gospel is missing already. And uh, so Islam teaches that that was corrupted. And Christians today claim that Jesus did die for the sins of others, that he died and was buried, that he rose again from the dead. And the cross in the mind of Islam becomes a symbol for idolatry. You're worshiping the cross, they would say, you know, and then you deny the deity of Christ. No Muslim that I'm aware of, if they truly are faithful to the Quran and its teaching, the teaching of Islam, will ever accept Jesus to be a divine person or God incarnate or the son of God. In fact, it's a blasphemy to call him the son of God, because in doing so, you're making him divine, and now you are committing idolatry, and at the same time, you are insulting Allah by claiming that Allah has a wife or a concubine, and the result of that was a son. And uh, going to the the title of your Christianity Today article, I wanted to die for Allah, now I live for Jesus. Uh, by the way, my guest is Mr. Al-Fadi. He's a a professor at Arizona Christian University. You say that you were really, by age 15, very, very young, actually, you were prepared to die for Allah and uh, at that time fight against uh, the Soviet Union in Afghanistan. That is very true. Uh, that is very true. In fact, I was actually uh, 13, uh, to be exact, oh. um, uh, you know, when uh, the Soviets invaded Afghanistan. And that was in 1979, by the way. And uh, two, uh, two major things happened almost the same year, by the way. The Soviets invaded Afghanistan and the Iranian Revolution. So the uh, Soviets' invasion indicated to us as Muslims that one of the two great Satans of the world, and I, I, I apologize for, for using that, but that was the nickname for the Soviet Union, the USSR, and the United States, you know, so people always are programmed to think in the Middle East that both of them meddle with our affairs, you know. So one of them invaded a, you know, parts of the body of Islam, in the community of Islam. That's that Afghanistan is our sister country. So you have to go and defend it, you know, because it cannot defend itself. So many young Muslims who are capable, according to Sharia, if you're capable and you're willing to sacrifice your life, end up leaving and going by the blessing, by the way, of many Islamic countries. And I, I want to emphasize this. Today, 
you're not going to find the whole Islamic countries that will be blessing the fact that some jihadis are going to go other places because they understand that the ramification of that is you're endorsing terrorism. Back then, it was kind of a, a holy fight, like a, a cause to defend, uh, you know, the weak and to liberate Afghanistan. One of those people was Osama bin Laden, who I happen to know his cousins. And it's a big family, by the way, the bin Laden family. Mm -hmm. And I was really inspired by his action. And I was told by his cousins that, hey, we can arrange if you want to go and you become part of his small group and so on and so forth. But I'm thankful I did not really follow uh, uh, follow up with that or follow along with this because my, my, my mother and others, of course, discouraged me from such an idea. And I'm so thankful. It, it's now you can say the Holy Spirit was mm -hmm. already working on my heart. Mm -hmm. And so you did attend college in Saudi Arabia and then you... Uh, decided i'm sure I'm sure your parents had a had a role in this to come to the united states to continue your education but you, you apparently were there was some uh, conflict because you were taught to believe that basically all americans are christians and and muslims are discouraged or at least in, in your upbringing from having relationships with christians so that was that was a bit of yes. a something to overcome there for you that is true. And and I, I know some Muslims going to listen to this and say, well, Al-Fadi is lying. No, no, that's not, that's, not, that's not true. I'm not lying. Islam, in its core teachings, discourages you as a true follower of Islam to befriend Christians or Jews in a level where you can trust them wholeheartedly, in a level that you can be willing to compromise for them and things like that. So that's what I mean by that. Obviously, I was a fanatic, you know, in my thinking, I was a zealot, you know, so I wanted to go by the book. And you're right, I did graduate uh, back home. I got a, a degree in engineering and I the door opened up for me by the blessing of my parents to come to the West. And, uh, you know, uh, basically uh, the United States was the first to accept me. And my goal was to come in, get a degree in engineering and then go back home. That was the, that was the goal. And in my mind, yes, I am going to go for the first time to a Christian nation. Now, I know people are going to laugh when I say this, but that's the Islamic thinking. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, the West represents Christianity. Yes, we believe that there are some Jews in there, but technically speaking, the West represents Christianity. And people are born Christian, not born again, born Christian. You inherit a religion called Christianity. So you can imagine the struggle that I had, uh, basically, and the tension, uh, the mental tension, the emotional tension that I am. I'm at the land of the infidels. And at the same time, it's the great Satan of the world that really uh, interfere with our affairs. And yet, I'm here to pursue education. So there's a lot of conflicts that were taking mm. place inside of me at the same time yeah i can see that and ju just to back up a little bit when you before you came to the united states you were still in saudi arabia uh, do i recall that there began to be some doubts sort of creeping in about uh islam well it wasn't in saudi but it was here ah. uh in the united states when that started no i mean even when i came to the states i never really had any intentions that one day i may doubt islam or one day i may leave islam or even follow uh christ but what happened is at the beginning the first month i struggled with idioms believe it or not and because of my struggles with the use of idioms I ended up being forced, or at least forced myself, to find a way to have conversational partners who are Americans. And it was through the school where I was that they teamed me up with a couple. And it was through that relationship that I start to hear them talk about being born again believers, which confused me, you know? 
And um, not that I really doubted anything at that moment, but I start to see something about the couple that contradicted what I'm seeing in a broader American culture. And and back then, by the way, we're talking in the nineties. Um, I mean, we're not we weren't seeing a whole lot compared to what we see today in our culture, by the way. But all that to say is, outside of my relationship with this couple. I'm seeing the usual American culture represented in the Hollywood movies. I know people are going to laugh when I say this, but that was my educational process. Sure. Watch Hollywood movies, you learn about the U.S. You know, that's pretty much what it was. <laughs> and, um, you know, I when I landed in the U.S. and I started, it, uh, you know, to live my daily life, a lot of people that I dealt with represented me of the Hollywood movies. But this couple contradicted all of that. The way they behaved with each other, the way they loved me, the way they cared for me, the way they went out of their way to assist me. I mean, it was genuine, but it was at the same time confusing. It's like, where did they learn these ethics from and moralities? And of course, initially, I wasn't really as astute in English or as novice, if you wish, in understanding some of the talk about being born again and all that kind of stuff. But it was after one year, I, I separated from them. I went to another campus. I continued to learn about the freedom of religion in the U.S. Not, not all people consider themselves religious. Not all people consider themselves to be Christians. Not all Christians go to church and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And then I developed a relationship with other people, including another couple. And I began to grasp what was going on. There are those who call themselves born again. There are those who follow Jesus at certain point in their life. They're not born Christian, or even if they were born Christian, that doesn't qualify. All it is, it's just a cultural, nominal Christian. Mm -hmm. But you have to make a decision to follow Jesus. And that started to confuse me because never in the Quran that I learned anything like this, never that I learned in Islam that there are so-called born-again Christians, never that I learned that Jesus is uh, the way, the truth, and the life. And, and that's where, as I was arguing with these people about Islam being the truth, they were arguing back. They were supporting their argument with facts and passages and archaeology and other things. I wasn't able to support my attacks against them, Bill. I would tell them your Bible is corrupt, but I won't be able to really give them convincing evidence about that. Or I would tell them Jesus was never crucified. But I can't even present anything convincing for them, you know, factually speaking. Mm -hmm. And that's how I started to first doubt my teaching about Christianity and second, began to doubt my teaching about Islam. Well, I want to come right back to that, Mr. Fadi, but you mentioned something that motivated you to get involved with uh, this particular, it ended up being a Christian ministry, this international student welcome program where you met that younger couple, but you said it was because of a problem that you had with idioms uh, or understanding idioms, and I think some people may wonder, what do you mean? What's an idiom and what would be an example of that that you had trouble understanding? Well, I mean, it was some slangs and things like that, like, what's up, you know? Oh. I mean, I would literally take it as somebody asking me to turn my head up and look at something up, you know, or how is it going, you know? And uh, and, and yeah. people want to pick my brain and pull my leg. I mean, it's all that kind of <laughs> stuff that, that really got me confused. And I'm like, okay, are they joking? Are they serious, you know? And uh, and and I noticed that a lot of people are using it. It wasn't like one time only. Yeah. Uh, and, and then I'm missing something because people are connecting the dots when somebody's using it and understanding what's going on. In my case, I'm stuck in that phrase now 
And I missed the whole uh, conversation after that. So, so that's what forced me really to, through the assistant of the uh, one of the teachers, to connect with the international student office. And through that, I connected with the couple. Now, they, I didn't know it was a Christian ministry, by the way. Sure. And I'm thankful I didn't because I probably wouldn't have uh, agreed to do that. And you, you were hoping to convert them to Islam, at least initially, right? I was hoping to convert anybody to Islam. And you also, uh, I think in your, your CT piece, you point out that, well, well, both of them that we're talking about, this younger couple, and then you met uh, another person a little bit later on, but that they showed uh, love to you in a way that you had not experienced even from fellow Muslims. And I'm wondering, what what did they do? You know, again, that Islam does teach uh, that we have to be kind to our seventh neighbor. You know, a neighbor is like up to seven homes. I mean, you have to be kind to your parents and honor them and respect them. No doubt about that. But also the idea that you meet a stranger and somehow you go out of your way to to help that stranger without reservations, without suspicion. And add to that, the stranger is a completely different religion than yours you know let's put it this way that was strange you know and on top of this later of course i learned that the bible says love not only one another or not only your neighbor as yourself but also love your enemies and that's something that was extremely powerful to find out about so that's what i meant by that uh, meaning that islam doesn't go into that level of love and and care about others because uh, you know, Islam definitely wants the Muslim community to first strengthen itself and uh, work together versus working with someone who's outside that, the community that refuses to follow Islam, put it this way. So that's pretty much what I meant by it. And uh, yes, indeed, uh, these uh, people, at least the first couple, the second couple, were uh, absolutely amazing in every way possible, the way they treated me. And and uh, they actually weren't, weren't evangelizing you along the way, but something happened in the case of both of these couples, I think you say, at a holiday meal. Something got your attention. That's right. The first couple, uh, you know, basically invited me to my first Thanksgiving meal, and I ended up basically meeting them meeting their neighbors, meeting their church friends, meeting their family members. And I began to realize almost everybody in that meeting looked the same in terms of their attitude, ethics, morality, and all that kind of stuff. And then they start to ask me about my faith. Uh, do I have any celebrations like this, for instance, in Islam? And um, what is my understanding of Christianity? What is my understanding of Christ? What is my understanding of the Bible? Uh, I was trying to be gentle because I didn't really want to brought big bombs on them in terms of like my rejection of everything that they believe in. But at the same time, I was touched by what they were doing and how they treated me and their hospitality. And they prayed for me, you know, I remember and all that kind of stuff. So so it was, you can say the seeds was starting to get planted as a result of this. And at some point along the line here, you, you became married. That is true. I, I was married uh, uh, after graduating with my engineering degree. I ended up getting married and uh, I had a child and I even began to pursue the American dream. I bought a house. You know, I had a very nice job, a uh, wonderful company that I was working uh, for at that time. And uh, so so I, I again, uh, life was good uh, in that regard. I wasn't really uh, the least interested on thinking about Christianity or leaving my faith or anything like that. But of course, the Lord was working on me, and he was so patient. Well, at some point, you decided to visit a Christian church. It was a long journey before I made that decision, almost 12 years ah. from the first seed that was planted until I finally 
went to a Christian church. It was the second couple, which is years later after meeting the first couple, for instance, and other born-again Christians that invited me multiple times to go to their mm. church or to go to a church for an occasion like Easter or Christmas. But I kept resisting, and I kept feeling like I'm going to violate uh, my faith. Uh, God is going to punish me. God, I'm going to accumulate bad deeds uh, over this. But it wasn't until I lost my father uh, over cancer, and, and I started also to um, question my understanding of Christ and Christianity, because what I'm hearing is completely different than what the Quran was presenting to me and what I'm seeing also about these born-again Christians and their lifestyle and their love and kindness was completely different than what I assumed it to be. And then I could not really support any of my accusations and claims against, against Christianity in general, or Christ or the Bible or the cross or anything like that. All of that culminated in me basically starting to walk away from Islam. Uh, you can say I became maybe not an atheist, but uh, agnostic, if you wish. And, and then at some point, I was intrigued about, uh, you know, going to church. And really, I still had this motive. I want to go to church to learn how I can convert Christians more effectively. That was my goal. You know, it wasn't like I want to leave Islam, yeah. but I felt like maybe I wasn't really following Islam accurately, or maybe I wasn't learning the true faith, uh, teaching of Islam about Christ and Christianity. And maybe I need to be more effective by being an insider, if you wish. But of course, uh, the Holy Spirit, uh, you know, definitely uh, took advantage of this opportunity. And I started to hear the gospel. Uh, you know, uh, uh, from the front line, if you wish, from the pulpit. And uh, September 11 happened during that time because I started to attend in May of 2001. Then when September 11 happened, I hesitated. I didn't want to go to that church. I was concerned people will be upset with me. I mean, granted, the 19 hijackers with Muslims, 15 of them were from Saudi. So there you go. I mean, people knew I was a Muslim and I was from Saudi. But I am so thankful that my friends convinced me that the way I will be treated today will be no different than any other time. And I honestly was doubting it. But when I went there and I saw their kindness, their uh, gratitude, how they were actually praising God and worshiping, even though in the midst of such tragedy, and then hearing from the pulpit about Jesus' teaching about loving your enemies, that was the nail that sealed the coffin for me, Bill. And at some point thereafter, obviously, you, you came to personally trust in Jesus. Did it happen shortly thereafter? About two months later, okay. in November of 2001, I accepted Christ as Lord and Savior. Well, now, after that, and there's sort of a, an idea sometimes, not a true idea, but that once you come to Christ, a lot of your troubles go away, life may somehow become easier. What did you experience? You know, Bill, I'm glad you bring this up because um, it, it, it really uh, bothers me when I find out sometimes some Christians uh, have told some of the, let's say, Muslims in this case, who uh, they were witnessing to, that if you come to Christ, somehow life will be glorious, you know? Now, maybe the Christians didn't articulate it well. Maybe they meant it's a spiritual uh, glory, mm -hmm. a spiritual peace, you know, peace of mind. You don't have to worry anymore the way you worry before. But uh, somehow they, the, the, the Muslims take it or come to Christ, they take it as if it's a literal thing that somehow you live a life without any trouble. And yes, indeed, um, you are faced with spiritual warfare almost immediately after 
roll, Satan is not going to really give you a big hug for leaving his <laughs> for leaving his pack. You know, he is going to unleash and uh, unleash his attack on you immediately. And he will he knows, you know, uh, if he sees the giftings that you have and he sees the zeal that you have for Christ. He is going to really send you his equal partners to you. I mean, if you're zealot, he'll send the zealot uh, also uh, demonic powers to try to discourage you. Of course, in Christ, we will never be discouraged, but we need to keep our eyes focused on him. In my case, of course, I ended up losing my marriage and uh, the economy wasn't doing well. So I was laid off, lost my income resulted in me losing my car because I fell behind, I couldn't pay. And then I ended up being forced to sell my house because I didn't want to also lose my house and I wanted just to break even. So, And I, I was cramped up into one bedroom, literally, in the house of someone, a couple that was going to the church where I get saved. And they offered me that room, you know, basically to, to stay in for a few months. And it was the humbling moment for my life. You know, it's like, here I am from where I used to be, glory days down to where I'm at on my knees. But it was God's way of preparing me for the task to come in the future. He was preparing me to humble myself. He was preparing me to get ready for the trials that I will be faced with. And, and I'm so thankful for that. Well, my guest today on His People is Mr. Al Fadi. He is a professor at Arizona Christian University. He now teaches biblical theology, comparative religion, and business, and you can read his story, a condensed version of it, in Christianity Today or at ChristianityToday.com. I wanted to die for Allah, now I live for Jesus. And in addition to being a professor, Mr. Fadi, uh, you, uh, I think you used the expression before we uh, did this conversation that you wear a number of different ministry hats. Can you tell us uh, what are some of the ministries that you've, you've come to be involved with these, these past years? Well, I am honored uh, to say that uh, after I accepted Christ, the Lord just uh, definitely uh, embraced me into the team, and I began to do ministry. Uh, I would call it the weekend ministry or part-time ministry. Uh, it was represented uh, by either simple teachings about Islam or how to reach Muslims for Christ or share my testimony, and that led me to the need to really get discipled at a deeper level, and then I ended up going to seminary, and I earned a Master's of Divinity. Uh, and that also opens door for you to do ministry at a much deeper level, of course. Some of the things that I've been honored with is that I launched a ministry called Sira International, which stands for the Center for Islamic Research and Awareness. In fact, people can just Google my name, Al-Fadi, which, by the way, is short for Abdul Fadi. Al-Fadi is the Redeemer, Abdul Fadi, Servant of the Redeemer. And I named myself this way after accepting Christ. And I was taken by what John the Baptist says, may I decrease and may he increase. So I always wanted the Lord to get glory for anything we do. If you Google the word CIRA, C-I-R-A, International, you are going to come across our website, CIRAInternational.com. You're going to see the type of things that we do. And also our YouTube channel is a very popular channel known also as CIRA International. And uh, we have uh, 134,000 subscribers right now. And we pray that the Lord will be glorified through all of that. Maybe more subscribers can join the team and they can spread the uh, the, the knowledge about, uh, uh, of course, Christ and Christianity and uh, how they can refute any claims against that and reach Muslims for Christ. And then I'm also involved, uh, Bill, uh, believe it or not, with Bible translation. So I'm, mm. I'm involved in a number of projects that deal with uh, translation, the scripture from the Hebrew and Greek, and also from classical Arabic into a couple of dialects. I don't want to get into details. 
simply because of the secrecy of all of that. But I'm just letting you and others know that these are the type of projects that the Lord has been blessing me with. I preach. Believe it or not, people can Google me and see my messages and sermons. And uh, just uh, that's what I meant by the many hats that I wear. You've been listening to His People on Pilgrim Radio. Many thanks to our guest, Mr. Al Fadi, professor at Arizona Christian University and founder of Sira International. Go to sirainternational.com. That's C-I-R-A, sirainternational.com. Coming up on tomorrow's program, it's John Metter with an inspiring discussion on persevering in hard seasons and a reminder that if you're still alive, God's not done with you. No matter how disillusioned a person has been in their faith in Jesus Christ, he does not shut us down. He didn't shut Thomas down for doubting. He gave him evidence to believe. And in the same way, he gave Peter evidence to believe even when he'd given up. Now that just says something about God right there. That's tomorrow at the same time right here on His People. Thanks for listening.